grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. This is Jane, and today I'm going to be speaking to Gary Coles in time for Father's Day, this Sunday, the 6th of September. Gary is a father who lost his son to adoption in 1967 and who has gone on to research and write extensively about the experience of fathers who were separated from their sons and daughters. Gary has also worked as a manager for Vanish, which is a Victorian service who support all those affected by adoption and also donor conception. Last year, prior to the COVID-19 situation and travel restrictions, Gary travelled to Queensland and ran a father's workshop for Jigsaw. Here, fathers had the opportunity to share with each other and learn from one another's experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Thank you, Jane. I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Yeah, well, we're really grateful as well. And um, the focus of today's discussion is going to be on some of the themes that relate to fathers, which have been covered in your books. I wonder if before we get into talking more about your books, if if you could tell us what led you to the point of writing them in the first place. Okay. well, you mentioned that my son was born in 1967. Mm -hmm. But it actually took me another 25 years to acknowledge that he had been missing from my life. Mm. And it was whilst in China in 1993 on a holiday Mm -hmm. that I happened to meet the then manager of Vanish, a lady called Mm -hmm. Margaret Campy, who was Mm. part of our tour group. Wow. And that provided a major breakthrough Mm. um, because when I got back, I began attending the Vanish support group meetings, Mm -hmm. initially to listen because I didn't know how a father might be received. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd heard of mothers who'd lost a child to adoption damning all fathers, Mm. and I half expected to be, uh, as a result of my revelations, to be added to this list. Mm. Um, When eventually I did open up, in, and it was a mixed support group setting, I discovered to my surprise the very opposite. Um, the mothers and the adopted people who were attending were non-judgmental. In fact, most of them said they welcomed hearing a father's voice. They'd never heard from a father before. Um, I became more comfortable with sharing my experience And more importantly, hearing about how mothers and adopted persons had related to the losses caused by adoption separation. Mm. 
this gave me some general insights into how Kay, the mother of my child, might be feeling, and also our son. Um, and then uh, fast forward another four years, mm-hmm. and again, Vanish were instrumental. I heard about an adoption conference in New Zealand mm-hmm. where my son had been born and still lived, and I decided to go to this conference. And there I met a, another father, um, Don Clarkson, who worked for the um, governmental children and young person service. Mm-hmm. And through his influence, he achieved a rarity. He'd encourage other local fathers to emerge. And we held a, a support group gathering mm-hmm. as a conference session. Oh, and there were some mothers some mothers who attended as well. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I'd heard what other fathers had experienced. So that was a revelation. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently, Don helped me enormously in my quest to be granted a copy of my son's original birth certificate, to which I'd added my name retrospectively. That was some years later that he helped me get a copy of that uh, original birth certificate. And then in 2000, I attended the seventh Australian Adoption Conference in Hobart and presented a paper called The Unspoken Burden. Uh, In that, I shared my personal experience and gave it a context um, anchored in what I'd heard and read about fathers. And there wasn't much around at that time. Uh, After the conference, I heard of another presenter and her book. Evelyn Robinson was the author, and the book was Adoption and Loss, The Hidden Grief. And to me, that was groundbreaking because not only was it a, a really well-written book, but it was also insightful. Uh, further, it, it, it provided a, or suggested a template for sharing um the knowledge I'd accumulated since I began attending those support group meetings. Mm -hmm. And I'd always felt that my personal experience as a a narrative was not a complete book, Mm -hmm. but perhaps it could be part of a book. And Evelyn's book, Adoption and Loss, The Hidden Grief, gave me a framework for exploring that possibility. Mm, That makes sense. And Gary, we'll include details of your books in our podcast notes so people can explore these further. Can you tell us a little bit more about the scope of that first book, which you published in 2004, and then how you came to write additional books after that? Well, four years later, and it took me all that time, between 2000 and 2004, Mm. to write Ever After, Mm. Fathers and the Impact of Adoption. Um, it was not easy, particularly um, the first part of the book, which is my my personal narrative. Um, I had to dig deep and I found out things about myself and um, feelings that I'd not explored before and just working through those took some time. Yeah. So I broke the book into three sections. The first part was my experience. 
And in the second and third sections, I pulled together the experiences of fathers in general and then suggested strategies for fathers becoming more involved in considerations about the impact of adoption, yeah. or adoption separation specifically. Mm -hmm. um, now, in that book, I introduced a concept that I called double abandonment. Um, and I used that to explain the unique phenomenon of a father suffering compounded guilt for having let down two people, mm -hmm. a mother and their son or daughter. Now, whilst I was writing that book, the first book, I had become a regular contributor to newsletters and journals from post-adoption support organisations. The articles that I'd collected, uh, I put together as a book and that was published as Transparent, Seeing Through the Legacy of Adoption. And the scope uh, in this book was broader than in Ever After. For example, I, I considered why my son um, display, had displayed a lack of curiosity. I also wrote a piece about Father's Day. And if I might quote the final sentence from that, that article, because I think it's relevant to the timing of this podcast. Yep. Um, so on Father's Day, please acknowledge that out there there are fathers who will be thinking of the children they lost to adoption. Lamenting the circumstances that allowed adoption, adoption separation to occur and hoping that their son or daughter is sparing a thought for them. Beautiful. And then after an interval of six years, I published The Invisible Men of Adoption, mm -hmm. uh, which again I broke into three parts, but I had a different approach than in Ever After. The first part I called Solo, and that was devoted to the experiences of fathers. The second part I called duo, and that was the interactions between the father and the adopted person and the father and mother. Mm -hmm. And then the final section was trio, in which I explain why the involvement of father, mother and adopted person is desirable in the healing process. And then more recently, I've published two e-books. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote Made in Australia, The Adoption Apologies. Uh, after being privileged to be involved in the writing of the National Apology for Forced Adoptions, which was delivered by Prime Minister Julia Gillard on the 21st of March 2013. Mm -hmm. And in this book, um, I unpick all, all the state, territory and federal apologies, looking at their scope, um, degree of inclusiveness, and their effectiveness. And what I found, just as, as one finding, was that whilst fathers were are included in the parliamentary motions of most of the apologies, only one apology, which is the national one, includes a paragraph devoted entirely to fathers. To you, the fathers who were excluded from the lives of your children and deprived of the dignity of recognition on your children's birth records, we say sorry. We acknowledge your loss 
and grief. We recognise that the consequences of forced adoption practices continue to resonate through many, many lives. Um, and I was really surprised uh, by what you said that the National Apology was the only one to you know, have a, a whole section dedicated to fathers um, because we do hear from fathers about their experiences and we also know that sadly the policies of the past meant that father's consents were not required by law in order for an adoption to proceed. Um, and we know that in, in most cases, in almost all cases, their names were excluded from birth certificates. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit more from your perspective on the implications and consequences that this has had for fathers, both at the time of the adoption and as the years have gone by. Typically, the absence of fathers from the original birth certificates and leave a father feeling disempowered. Mm -hmm. um, some men talk about being excluded from the decision-making process mm -hmm. and in some cases actually having been banned from either seeing the mother um, and the child as a baby or ejected from the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, one father, as quoted by Gary Clapton, said the impression was that this was nothing to do with me. I felt isolated. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, in his study, Gary Clapton mentions that nine of the 30 fathers were so disillusioned by their adoption experience that they made a conscious decision not to have any further children. Authorities often discourage the involvement of fathers on the basis that this speeded up the adoption process. Um, in Victoria, for example, only 2% of the pre-1984 original birth certificates have the father's name recorded. The legacy of all of this is that the disempowered father has seemed to have devolved responsibility. And this leaves a lingering impression, perhaps, that the father did not care enough about his child to insist that his name be recorded on the original birth certificate. Mm -hmm. And this perception may be picked up later by the searching adopted person. So it should be no surprise that so many adopted persons are wary about finding their father. He is un unknown in all senses. In many circumstances where the father's name is not recorded on the original birth certificate, it's the mother who controls both the revelation of his identity and opens up the possibility, possibility of a reunion between the father and his now adult child. And this situation perpetuates the father's disempowerment. Mm -hmm. Now looked out from the other side, if a father's name is missing from the original birth certificate, it's unwise to assume categorically that, one, the, father did, the mother did not know who the father was. Mm -hmm. Two, the father did not care enough to ensure that his name appeared on the record. Mm -hmm. And three, and most importantly, he does not wish to meet and know his adult, now adult child. Mm -hmm. So if he's made absent 
from the decisions about the adoption, some fathers feel they have lost their entitlement to remain involved. Mm-hmm. And that reinforces the stereotype that they are uncaring. However, um, you hear anecdotally that many welcome being contacted by their adult child, whom they know of. Then there are the fathers who are deliberately excluded from knowledge of the pregnancy and birth of their child. Their reactions to what has become known as late discovery may range from indignation to wholeheartedly embracing the revelation. Um, From what I've heard, thankfully, um, the later latter reaction is is more typical. Mm-hmm. Now, one of your earlier podcasts, um, you explore the reunion between Richard and Rachel. That's, and that's right. A, yep. Yeah, and, and that's a situation where a father has embraced. Yes. With with his um, with his daughter. Absolutely. Um, the mother is often the gatekeeper to the adult child. And especially when the father is not named on the original birth certificate. So she has a critical role to play in the search, contact and reunion process. And what this means is that the the quality of the relationship at the time of conception and the adoption, the relationship between the father and mother is critical to whether she is amenable to yeah. um, providing details that uh, allows the father to contact and meet his yeah. um, his, ado- his adult child. Yeah. So and, it means yeah. being missing on the original birth certificate. Uh, not, if a father's not on the original birth certificate, that means he's it's very difficult for him to initiate a search for mm-hmm. his his son or daughter. And yeah, and vice versa, I guess. Yes, exactly. Mm. I know that even when I uh, applied for my adoption information, which was in 2005, so, you know, it's recent times, um, the law, even though, so as was typically the case, fathers are very rarely on the birth certificate, but my father's name was mentioned throughout the adoption file. But yeah. even then they, they told me they couldn't give me the name um, because, you know, that, that wasn't the law at the time. Fortunately, um, since 2016 in Queensland, that has changed and we can mention that more at the end. But, you know, it, it really has created an issue for many people. Um, and that was quite crazy in my situation because it, it ended up that my birth parents had married three years after my birth. But even then, um, it, through the official channels, I never would have been able to know who he was. So, um and I think, you know, the other really important point you made there is that we've had an episode on late discovery, but actually this can apply to fathers. Um, the whole issue of late discovery, not knowing there's been an adoption, um, yeah. is very relevant to fathers who find out years later. Gary, um, could you tell us a little bit more about the aspects of the federal government's apology that did acknowledge fathers' suffering? Now, at a personal level, yeah, I, because of my experience, I felt that my connection to the forced adoptions was different from most in that not standing by Kay, the mother, I had actually forced an adoption to occur. 
nevertheless, the paragraphs in the National Apology, as they related to the impact of exclusion, mm. I, I felt they, they still related to me. That makes sense because I suppose as we hear with mothers, the whole system was geared at um, not not at all encouraging or facilitating a father's involvement at all. Mm-hmm. And certainly the legal aspect. Um, it's great that that's mentioned specifically about the birth records. And I'm guessing yes. um, you had some involvement in the wording of that, did you? Yes, in, yes, influencing yeah. that? That's great, yeah. yeah. And um, another idea that you mentioned in one of your books that really um, stood out for me when I read one of them was that you mentioned that fathering differs from mothering in some ways. And so when it comes to um, dealing with some of that suffering and that loss and that grief to do with adoption, um, the experience can be a little bit different for the father and the mother. Could you tell us a bit more about your thoughts on this? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a matter of record that most adoptions, most discussions about adoption, centre on the mother and the child as an adopted person. And the implication has been created that either fathers do not deserve to be considered or that the father's experience is identical to that of the mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps, at best, a a diminished version. But uh, there have been five separate studies taken internationally over the past three decades, mm-hmm. and they have exploded the myths about father's immunity from the consequences of adoption. Mm-hmm. But you need to bear in mind that the participating, participating fathers in these studies volunteered to take part in each case. Mm-hmm. So they were all willing presumably, to be open. Yeah. Right. They don't represent all fathers who lost a child yeah. to adoption. So that's yeah. important to, yeah. to uh, acknowledge. Now, from these um, completed studies, there have been some key and common findings, um, and they are fathers do care about the child they fathered, For example, in one survey, fathers said that the most important motives for searching were those concerned with the child's welfare. The legacy of adoption for fathers is a permanent scar. They suffer disenfranchised grief, loss of self-esteem, fear of rejection should they reach out to the mother and or their adult child, denial, numbness and perhaps bouts of anger, often self-directed. The studies have also found that many fathers still feel guilty about letting down the mother and because she was carrying the child, the child as well. Frequently the adoption terminated a long-term relationship between the mother and the father, and to quote one study, most father, most men 
lost not only their child but also their lover. Mm. And 10% of the fathers go on to marry the mother. Mm-hmm. But at the other end of the spectrum, and I referred to this before, uh, more than 25% have no further children. Yeah. Which is a, a, a finding uh, that applies to mothers as well, although I think the percentage is not, not 25%. Okay, yep. They, deal, they defer dealing with their feelings about the adoption until they reach middle age. Some believe they lost their entitlement to know their child by not being present at the birth. And in the eyes of the community, this perceived neglect is reinforced by the common absence of the father's name from the original birth certificate. The studies also found there are a couple of factors that are unique to fathers. Um, The majority of the fathers did not see the baby. So the conscious connection with the birth and the adoption may centre on the person they knew, the mother. And then there's the uh, matter of double abandonment. Um, Fathers may believe they let down the mother and the child at the time of the birth and the adoption. And adoption. And so they experience compound guilt as a result of forsaking mother and child. Mm -hmm. And that can result in internal confusion. Read the search priorities. Mm. Who to look for first, the mother or mm. the adult adopted person? Makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, I can relate to this totally because in my case, I felt an obligation to seek out the mother first and to apologise for my pivotal role in the adoption which, as I mentioned before, my role forced an adoption to occur. So um, I felt that um, Kay was the person I needed to approach first. Uh, But it does cause some some confusion about where to start your your search from the father's perspective. Yeah, and I know when I I read that in your book and I've heard you say that before, that really... um I learned a lot from that because in a, in my experience when we're helping people search and reunite, I have definitely encountered that where fathers have um, really expressed that they, they even if they're not going to talk to the mother again, they really want to know what happened to her, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how things turned out for her, which mm-hmm. makes sense when you say that fathers often feel a sense of responsibility or guilt. Um, one of the themes is the disempowerment for fathers and we've we've just covered there I guess some themes of guilt and responsibility is there anything else you'd like to share about the impacts of adoption on fathers yeah there there is and there's a framework that's um, been out there for some time and is well regarded and it's called the seven core issues of adoption I identified that fathers had not been addressed by this approach. So I decided to use this framework and address the experiences of fathers. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about adoptions that occurred in the so-called closed adoption period, um, Mm -hmm. post-World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, The first of those is loss and fathers 
we ruminate about the, the lost child. We feel that something is missing from our lives. Uh, we may rue the broken relationship with the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel unable to talk about our losses. If we do, we feel we may be harshly judged and consigned to social isolation. And I talked about that before when I was relating to attending support groups. Yeah, yeah, fear of judgment or con- condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second point issue is rejection, mm-hmm. and fathers may reprimand themselves for being irresponsible and unworthy because mm-hmm. they permitted the adoption. And as a result, they may keep their illegitimacy and adoption a secret because they fear um, the community's negative reaction. And should we seek reunion, uh, we fear rejection by the child. We feel we abandoned. And this is probably our greatest fear, Mm, fear, being rejected by the the child. In many cases, we never saw Um, guilt and shame. And we are party to a guilty secret. We feel shame and guilt for our negligent actions, which result in the child being placed for adoption and cause damage to a mother's life. Mm-hmm. Um, grief. There are no rituals for mourning. Grief resolution may be delayed and, as a consequence, disenfranchised. The right of the father to grieve the loss of his child and perhaps um, the loss of the relationship with the mother may not be recognised by the community mm-hmm. because of the, the lingering perception that he's selfish and uncaring. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel we lose part of our, our identity as the procreating father. Um, it causes confusion. The identity issue causes confusion about whether or not we can call ourselves a parent mm-hmm. because we let a child go. Mm-hmm. Um, We have difficulty in responding truthfully when asked how many children we have. Mm. We may feel invisible and undeserving of of recognition if we are unacknowledged on our child's original birth certificate. We may be wary of intimacy because it may lead to another loss Mm -hmm. and unresolved relation unresolved issues with the mother mm. may interfere with future relationships. Yeah. And the final of the seven issues is control. Mm-hmm. Relinquishment of a child may be seen as having yielded control to internal fears and external influences. And I'm talking about the role of parents and the mm impact of society. The outcome may be that self-imposed control and over-control in some cases as a strategy to deny the effects of the separation caused by the adoption. And I guess I'm wondering, I mean, those are some pretty core issues for anyone to be sort of walking around with on a daily basis with, with those things impacting on them. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how fathers can try to cope with this difficult and complex life experience. 
the mother, the child and the father are not only linked by fundamental relationship factors, mm. and I'm talking about the fathers are linked to, well, mothers are linked to their child in three ways. Mm-hmm. It's biologically during the pregnancy, mm-hmm. psychologically and genetically. Mm-hmm. Now, fathers can claim only the latter two connections, in other words, psychologically and genetically. That's how they are. They're the fundamental relationship factors, if you like. Mm-hmm. But they are all linked by the wounds. The three participants are all linked by the wounds caused by the adoption. Mm-hmm. So the benefits of working together to heal these wounds they should be obvious, but they're not always achievable because we're dealing with damaged human beings. Yeah. So two of the most confronting inhibitors to the healing are mm-hmm. secrecy and denial. Yeah, absolutely. And I can relate particularly to the latter one because I'm yeah. going to that for 25 years. Mm. And that pairing can be allied to another pairing of as well, shame and guilt. And I can, again, uh, the guilt played a, a key role in my deferring dealing with my issues. Mm-hmm. And denial, I discovered, you can use it to block the processing of grief. Yes. And it, it impairs, it becomes an impediment to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And denial represents a reluctance fundamentally to face the truth. Yeah. And I reckon it's the most debilitating of, of the lost reactions because it, it means avoidance and yes. remaining stationary. You can't move on. Yeah. And the feelings are deliberately suppressed in the scope for an individual to recognise the consequences, and they're multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, of the adoption separation, they become compromised. Mm. So, in my opinion, um, admitting to the denial you've used to protect yourself, that's the first step you need to take to um, promote personal healing. So, to face the fact that actually this has impacted on you and there's that there even is loss there at all. Exactly. Loss of other feelings, yeah. Yeah. And in doing so, you expose the secret about your past, mm-hmm. um, which you've deliberately withheld from others, mm-hmm. not, not because of the content of your revelations, but rather because what you believed they might think of you. I think the recovery is not possible for the person who is intent on maintaining denial, preserving secrets, Mm -hmm. preserving secrets. Um, So for fathers, a practical step and it sends a positive signal to the mother and the now adult child is to arrange to have your name added retrospectively to the original birth certificate. Mm -hmm. 
and I th- this gives a powerful message mm. that you are, you are care and you care yeah and that you are now acknowledging you are part of the adoption process and are available to participate in the reunion this is something that i did and it required the step deck signed by the mother to achieve that that goal but it had benefits all around yeah yeah and i know in uh, queensland it's it's now possible which is a great thing and i think there's a couple of different ways options i guess um for how that can be achieved so we would encourage people who are interested in considering that to contact us or to contact the um the forced adoption support service in their state and we'll we'll mention that again at the end but sorry i'll let you carry on okay now as a result of going through that process of opening up Mm -hmm. um what i've discovered and other men as well is that family friends and strangers actually appreciate your transparency yeah and in general they do not fulfill fulfill the fears that you may have had about being judged harshly for your past indiscretions mm-hmm. in other words you find the community is actually more understanding than you than you thought mm. and i found that out via the support groups Yep. as well as amongst family members and, and friends. Yep. So what I found was that um, facing and accepting the truth about parent-child separation mm-hmm. and the adoption uh, is actually empowering. Mm. And I, I spent 25 years shut down and emerging mm-hmm. from that Mm-hmm. And writing about it helped, definitely helped. Mm-hmm. Lifted an enormous weight off my shoulders. So as a result of going through this process, I've discovered some some truths, if you like. I think they're worth sharing. The first of those is you cannot alter the events that are the foundation of your adoption experience, but you certainly can change the way you think and feel about them and from that um, no one who has an adoption experience emerges unscathed in other words all participants are affected mm-hmm. but it is the degree to which each person admits to and addresses the impact of adoption on their life that makes the fundamental difference yeah the key to understanding your adoption experience and incorporating it into your life is the acknowledgement of cause and effect when people are separated through adoption they suffer a loss and experience grief and that is lifelong and that's how you deal with it is really fundamentally what matters yeah absolutely so it's good to just acknowledge that because sometimes the broader messages out there in society, uh, there's still not a big understanding that adoption does involve loss and grief in the general population. So it's good just to say that really clearly. And I would have hoped that out of the national apology and the state mm. and 
and uh, territory apologies, there would have been a greater understanding of mm. the impact of adoption in the community. I'm, yes. I'm not sure that that's really happened. As a result of self-discovery, I guess, and then mm -hmm. um, researching and writing, mm -hmm. um, I think I've come up with some overall guidelines mm -hmm. that I think benefit all participants in the adoption. I'm talking about the father, the mother, and the mm -hmm. adopted person. Um, first of all, own up to your adoption experience, uh, and that applies especially to fathers who are still underrepresented. Now, as a recent example of fathers' collective reluctance to become involved, and it's still an issue, mm -hmm. in the 2012 Australian Institute of Family Studies survey of the service response to past adoption experiences, there were 1,525 participants, mm -hmm. of which only 12 were fathers. Mm. That's 0.8% of the total. Yeah, yeah compared with 505 mothers. So the ratio between um, mothers and fathers was 42 to 1. Yeah, yeah. And the 823 adopted persons who also uh, participated in that yeah. landmark study. Yeah. I have also attended the last four adoption Australian adoption conferences, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it all but the 2012 conference, I was the only father yeah. um, who were in yeah. attendance. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely under, hugely underrepresented. And and yeah. as you said earlier, I guess we have to acknowledge as well that some fathers are still finding out now that they even had a child that was adopted. So yeah. as things open up, it would be great if, if more fathers came forward and wanted to share their experience. I think it's also, going back to the guidelines, I think it's important to listen to mm -hmm. and learn from the, the perspectives of others. I think it's important to uh, prepare yourself for outreach, mm -hmm. either as the initiator or the potential recipient, yeah. by exploring the general impact of adoption loss. Mm -hmm. Now, ideally, so you are better prepared for the reunion, which can be a confronting and emotional experience, you should do that personal work. If you don't do that and you place the onus for personal healing on the person whom you are seeking reunion with, that's bound to result in disappointment. In the way, <laughs> you know, putting a lot of pressure on the other person is yeah. well, to heal you. No, it's, That's right. Yeah. Impossible ask. Yeah. It, the yeah. other person can, to heal you. You can never heal or fix what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. You can only move and forward. It is personal responsibility, it's very important. Yeah. yeah. And on that, I think it's important to honour any outreach that, as a father, that's made to you. And that applies also to any initiative that is that comes from the father um, to the mother and or the adopted person. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that it's we are a family of origin and that is comprised of three persons. And all three, mother, child and father, have 
have roles to play. Yeah. And for the post-adoption service organisation or organisations, I think it's important to acknowledge that fathers' experiences of adoption separation have unique qualities and to include fathers in policy settings and in considerations within the practice um, that deal with search, contacts and reunion. Yeah. In other words, a full-on acknowledgement of the role of fathers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's critical. And that's at a at a organizational level and yep. um adding to at an interpersonal level. Yeah, both. That's exactly right. Mm. And um unfortunately we will have to wrap up in a minute. Uh but I will say, yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. And and certainly um as an organization we at Jigsaw would really encourage fathers to come along to an open support group, which you mentioned earlier, was very beneficial to you because it is about sharing but also learning about the experiences of others. Um, and we'd also encourage um, fathers to come forward and, and contact the Forced Adoption Support Service. Um, and, and basically when you ring that number, it will go through to the service in that state and also they can then um, refer you somewhere else if that's more appropriate. But the number for that is 1800-210313, which is actually the date of the National Apology. Um, and obviously you've right. mentioned Vanish in Victoria is fantastic as well. So that's, yep. that's an option for people. Um, and we're getting um, – there's developments all the time. As I mentioned earlier, in 2016 in – in Queensland, there was another change where now fathers' names will be released. If it's anywhere on the file, it will be released. They may give a – that would be to the adopted person, but fathers could come forward as well. And they will give the proviso and say, look, we can't 100% guarantee this is the correct name because <laughs> obviously fathering a child is a bit different to mothering a child giving birth. But um, with DNA testing now, very accessible, not too expensive, um, the decision was made that people can can um, attempt to, re you know, connect and then do a DNA test if they want that certainty. Um, and and also genealogical DNA testing like Ancestry DNA when there's no other option, um, that it, people are having success through that, finding their fathers. So I would say more than ever, um, fathers and adopted people are coming together, which is a really great thing and yeah I guess I'd just say is there anything you'd like to add as we finish up Gary? Now apart from uh, you referred to the loosening up of um, the criteria yeah the fathers and um, getting access to the um, records mm. um, in Queensland that's happening in Victoria as well oh, good. And, um, yeah. information here will be released by births and marriages, if mm -hmm. the father is named in the court records mm -hmm. um, and not on the original birth certificate, so that, mm -hmm. that that's an advance. Good, yep. That, that's a, a small step in getting fathers yeah. um, uh, more involved. So I welcome yeah. that, and let's yeah. hope that spreads right across Australia and indeed beyond Australia. Yes, and I do hope so, and I think 
you know, the other thing we touched on was if people are wanting to explore the option of a father's name being added to an original birth certificate, um, give that forced adoption number a call as well just to get all contact um, birth, deaths and marriages or the department in your state directly. But um, don't give up. <laughs> Some it's, it's different. It's hard when adoption is a state-based thing. It's a little bit different in each state, but it's worth exploring if that's something. And as, you know, we've just heard the announcement last week about integrated birth certificates in New South Wales. Um, yes, is coming that's a real positive. So it's yeah. great. And so as that hopefully happens more and more in other states as well, that yeah. would be a time as well to consider um, adding a father's name if possible as well. So Yes. yes. Right. yes. Unfortunately, we probably could keep talking, but we might have to wrap up. But we will... Um, we will hopefully keep addressing issues relating to fathers. We will talk more about that um, Australian Institute of Family Studies research sometime soon, which you mentioned. And even yeah. though there was only 12 participants, um, it's it's definitely worth highlighting. Yeah, well, there was, a section, well. there was a section in the report that um, yeah. did address fathers. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely. Hopefully that's that. something they will talk about when you get to Yes, talk. exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gary. We really appreciate it. Um, and I hope there'll be fathers that listen and, and also mothers and adopted people that will sort of become a bit more aware of that perspective as a result. Mm. And happy Father's Day to... Yes, happy fathers. Father's Day to all fathers. Yes, including yeah. those with adoption experiences. That's exactly right, yeah. Thanks so much, Gary. It's been a pleasure, Jane. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 double three five eight double six double six if you live in another state of australia you can still call the forced adoption support service number and your call will be answered by the forced adoption support service in the state that you're calling from in every other state relationships australia operates this service a big thank you to matt sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.